All right, Washington Football Addicts, welcome back to another episode. This is episode number 67. Uh, tonight with us, we have uh, a wonderful guest. We have Mr. Mitch Tischler from uh, uh, NBC Sports Washington. Mitch, thanks for joining us tonight. Absolutely. Happy to be here, boys. All righty. And uh, we got myself, Steve, and we got Mr. Phil joining Hello. us tonight. And uh, you guys know how we like to start our show. We always pay homage to the former uh, Washington football players who's, who's come before us. And being episode 67, we'll, we'll see who Phil has in the, uh, the hopper for us tonight. Number 67, not a number that has a tremendous amount of, you know, ring of fame players or anything like that. But we do have Ray Brown was born number 67. Ray Brown actually played for Washington twice. He played for Washington from 1989 to 1995, uh, spent the last uh, three and a half seasons as a starter at left guard. Uh, so he kind of came in after the, the uh, second iteration of the Hogs dissolved, uh, went on to San Francisco for several years. Detroit came back to Washington for the final two years of his career. Those final two years were at ages 42 and 43, where he was a right tackle for us. Think of it this way, people. Everybody talks about how it's amazing that Tom Brady at 43 was is playing quarterback. This is a guy who played offensive line, which is an extremely physical position, and you're carrying 300 pounds plus weight on your body. And this guy actually started 14 of 16 games for us in 2004 as a right tackle. That was Gibbs' first season coming back. Uh, so, you know, Ray Brown is one of those guys that, you know, when you, you don't think of his name, but – when someone brings up, go, oh yeah, I remember that guy. He played forever. Yeah, dude played until he was 43 years old. Actually started two games his last season in 2005, which was that you know wonderful playoff run we had with Mark Brunell. So he was backup right tackle for us there uh, behind John Jansen, and uh, just you know one of those players that just always had a job in the league. I mean, you know, most of the games he started came after he turned 30. So, you know, talk about, you know, if you just put in the work, stick with it, you can make a long career out of the NFL. So Ray Brown's that guy. Yeah. And hey, hey, Mitch, and if you don't know, you know, Phil, Phil is very similar to you is that he has an affection for, for linemen, whether it's each side of the ball, you know, I, I know you have, I know you have that about you, but you, you and Phil would get along just great. <laughs> He's a smart guy. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> He's pulling Ray Brown for your, for your player at number 67. He's, He's definitely got some deep cuts in there. There you go. Um, so, okay, we just had the 2021 NFL draft. So we'd like to focus our discussion with you tonight, you know, on, on the draft. So let's just go right out the gate, Mitch. How, how did you personally consume the draft? Where did you watch it? What were you doing? What was your environment like for, for draft night last Thursday? It's funny. This is the first time in probably 10 to 12 years that I wasn't at the draft or on TV doing, you know, doing uh, some of our podcast stuff and, and our live streams and whatnot. So this year, you know, just like everything else in the kind of COVID world has been weird and wild. And uh, I was at home like everybody else. I had a, don't tell my bosses, a beer next to me. I had the draft on and was enjoying it. It was uh, a lot of anticipation because we had a lot of, you know, content set up around the draft and but it was the first time that I really got to sit back and watch the full coverage and, and kind of chill. And, and it was, uh, it was fun seeing how the other side lives a little bit. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of cool. See, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I wanted to ask, you know, being, you know, we're fans, you guys do this every day, you get paid for, you guys are the experts, you get the inside, you know, you talk to people, you do this every day. Sometimes, you know, we watch stuff for fun. So you guys, like you said, you don't get much opportunity to just 
kick back and, and be a fan because, you know, you're doing it for a job. There were a million bad things about COVID and, you know, it, 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 hopefully it was what it was and we can be on the other side of the mountain. But the one thing that was interesting slash different for us was this is the first time I didn't travel for Washington football road games since I started covering the team in 2008. And home games, we were at the stadium. But for and even on for home games, I wasn't down on the sideline, which is something that I've done forever. Um, but for the road games, we watched from home. You know, we, sometimes we uh, we got together and watched outside. You know, when the weather wasn't too bad. But for the most part, just like you guys, I was on my couch watching the games, following the game on Twitter. You know, doing all the things that 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 fans get to do. And it was a totally different experience. You know, uh, in taking in a game that way versus you know at the stadium, on the sidelines, you know, kind of in the middle of all of it as it's happening. And it gives you a totally different perspective. And, and it was it was fun seeing it from the other side. Hopefully this season we can go back to normal and I can get back, <laughs> get back to around the team, around the stadium, around the game, which, uh, which I love, which I love. Right. Go ahead, Phil. Let's say, um, so let me ask you this. Since I know you got to put up with Twitter warriors every day, um does it kind of getting to see it sit back and be in that perspective again does it give you that feeling of you know you can kind of see what these people on twitter and, and the armchair quarterback fans and all that how they're consuming the game does it kind of give you that uh, that perspective because i know it's probably hard sometimes to grasp why don't these people see it when you're always when you're so deep in the mix most of the time yeah i mean i certainly found myself you know, for big plays or plays that I thought something caught my eye, rewinding the game and then fast forwarding through the, you know, in between play stuff. But, you know, we see, I see, you know, in a day to day, week to week, month to month, you know, how reactionary fans can be to every signing, every rumor, everything that happens. And when you're sitting on Twitter looking at it during the course of a football game, it's a microcosm of that, you know one bad rep from a player and that guy needs to be benched or he shouldn't be on the field or one good play from somebody kind of marginal. And why does this guy get more playing time? And it's just, it's a, uh, it's, it's all fast and furious and things are coming at you. And, you know, the, the, the fan in you wants to react every time you see a play because heck you're watching the game. You want them to win. You want every play to be perfect. You want every guy to be perfect. So I get it. It's just a different way to, to kind of consume football. Absolutely. And, and, and I know there's, there's, there's some people that cover the team that aren't necessarily fans. It's just a job for some people, but I really appreciate, you know, the ones who are fans. And, and so before we move on to the actual draft, so can you tell us your, your fan story? How did you become a fan of, of the Washington football team? Like, were you born into it? You know, how, how, how does that, what's your story? I have a kind of roundabout way of this, uh, which I don't know how many Washington football fans will love this, but I grew up in the DC area. I grew up in Maryland I my we didn't I didn't grow up watching a lot of NFL football but obviously Washington was great during that time and so when they were making playoff runs and they were in the Super Bowl we would go to our friends houses and have Super Bowl parties and all those kinds of things I mean I remember clear as day the 90 92 uh Super Bowl 91 Super Bowl you know being I was seven years old at the time and being at you know my parents friends house for it but because I didn't watch a lot of football and all my friends growing up were Washington football fans I was kind of like the antithesis fan. So I grew up as a big fan of the Dolphins and Dan Marino was my guy. I loved him. Yeah. But, uh, you know, as I kind of grew up and I went to University of Maryland and, you know, kind of stayed around the area, you know, you kind of start 
growing into it. And when I started covering the team, you know, it starts off where, you know, you kind of meet some guys that are, that are, you know, really nice guys and good dudes and you kind of start rooting for them. And as you're rooting for the guys that you like, you kind of find yourself, you know, kind of getting into all of it. So that's kind of how it all kind of, you know, matured as I, as I grew up and I started being around the team more, you kind of get a feel for, you know, not just obviously the history of the franchise, but the guys that you're, the guys that are on the field that, that everyone's rooting for you get to, you know, you kind of get to know, you know, you get to know these guys a little bit and it's easy to root. There's, you know, we've been lucky here in DC that there haven't been a whole lot of guys that have been difficult to root for. And so that makes it, that makes it all that much easier to work with them. It makes it that much easier to cover them. It makes that much easier to talk about them the whole nine. And, and I think that, you know, we're kind of lucky that, uh, that that's been the case around here. Right. I think it's only going to get easier with, with the way Ron's drafted. You know, I'm, I'm curious because, because Mitch is around my age and, and remembers the same Super Bowls clearly as I do. Um, where in Maryland are you from originally? Montgomery County. Hey, that's oh, where right. I am. I'm in Silver Spring. Damn. There you go. <laughs> Mount Rainier. So <laughs> that's why I was curious. I was like, don't tell me this, this guy was having the same, he's same, similar age, same experience of that Super Bowl yeah. and everything. And he was just down the block. That's what I was yeah. curious about. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on New Hampshire Avenue. <laughs> it's, I was cleaning out my um, bedroom in my parents' house, and I have the Wheaties box from from that Super Bowl. And I, I, I just, I like my mom made this like elaborate cake, and like for whatever reason that stuck out. You know, being the man that I am, that stuck out of my head. And like, I, it's just, it's funny, like the little things that stick with you outside of you know the team celebrating on the field with the confetti falling. Yeah. I got that same Wheaties box sitting in storage right now. I got that one <laughs> and I got the Doug Williams one as well. So I, I, that's awesome. I'm glad to meet someone else that has that same <laughs> Wheaties box. That's, I mean, this year is what, 30 years, 40 years, 30 years. Mad, Thanks Steve. Now, now we all feel for, for it's good. At least our podcast is the only one that's terrible at math. Yes. <laughs> we're, we're, we're right there with you. Um, Okay, so let, let's let's go right into the draft. You know, we I'll just rattle off the picks real quick. You know, in round one, Jamin Davis, linebacker to Kentucky. Uh, round two, Samuel Cosme, uh, tackle out of Texas. Three, uh, Benjamin St. Juiced, DB out of Minnesota. Uh, second, third, uh, third round pick, uh, Deami Brown, wide receiver out of uh, UNC. Round four, tight end John Bates out of Boise State. Round five, uh, Dave, Derek Four, safety out of Cincinnati. Uh, round six. Uh, Long sniper Cameron Cheeseman, Cheeseman out of Michigan. Uh, round seven, uh, William Bradley King, defensive end Baylor. Uh, our second seventh round pick, uh, Shaka Tony, defensive end out of Penn State. And our semi Mr. Relevant, uh, round seven, Mr. Dax Milne. I don't know if I'm saying that Milne. right. Milne yep. out, of, out of BYU. So just start just right at the gate, Mitch. Who is your favorite pick out of, out of all those picks that we, that we got on Thursday? Well, there was only one pick on Thursday, but throughout the weekend, yeah, Thursday all, going I'm all the way to Saturday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, I, I like the Sam Cosby pick. I mean, aside from him being an O lineman, he's a guy that I talked up for you know weeks leading up to the draft. He was a guy that I really liked. I thought his biggest fault was you know some some effort and coaching aspects of his game. And if there's one thing that we've learned from Ron Rivera over the years or over the year, I guess is you know his attention to detail and the speed of what she wants practice done. And, you know, I think that he's the perfect kind of coach along with John Matsko to kind of get their hands on him and, and mold him into the tackle that they want him to be. Um, 
So, I mean, honestly, I, th- I thought they had a really good draft overall. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of sexy picks in there. You know, maybe the Deami Brown pick might end up that way if we, you know, w- when we looked down the road a couple of years. But it was a lot of super solid players with high floors that you expect that, you know, even if they don't become superstars, they won't be complete bust. And, and that's important. And, uh, and I think that they did a good job kind of rounding out the roster in the straps. Right. And, and you guys said it on your podcast too, on the Washington football talk podcast, where, you know, it seems like they stuck with their board. They didn't move or maneuver too much. You know, they, they went with who they thought they, that was their guy. They didn't go too crazy. Uh, and it was about speed and, and character, you know, just like, just like you said, it seemed like that was the theme. At least what JP said for, for the draft. And it, it, it seems to be, to be spot on. They want a fast, fast team. And I think you can build a lot from the speed. They definitely they want a fast, disciplined, highly athletic team. And I think that's what they put together. And I think nobody epitomizes that more than, uh, than Jamin Davis. I mean, he's a dude who might not be the sexiest pick, just like kind of the rest of them, but he's a guy who, you know, I think you plug in day one and you, you might, he might never become an all pro. He might never have 200 tackles and 10 sacks, but he's going to be, he's going to be a solid pro linebacker. And that's something that Washington hasn't had a whole lot of, a lot from that position over the past few years. And he's a guy that he's the type of guy that you need to build out the roster. And I, I like to pick for, you know, the, the, the type of guy that he is. We talked to Mark Stoops, his college coach a little bit today, and he was raving about him, not just as a football player, but as a person and how the only difference between this year and last for him at Kentucky was opportunity. And had he come back, you know, for another season, he might've been a top 10 pick. You know, he, he was a guy who, was clearly ascending and the fact that Washington was able to grab him, you know, at 19, I think, you know, is, is a testament to two coaches that have a lot of linebacking experience and Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio. And if those dudes can look on tape and see a guy who they think has a high ceiling, who are we to question that? You know, right. those are dudes that won Super Bowls and coached at the, the coach are coaching at the top level. Yeah. And, and before I turn it over to Phil, you know, you said Sam, Samuel Cosme was your, was your favorite pick. Um, you know, Ron on the interview, Ron said that he, there's no guarantee he's going to start. He wouldn't commit to him starting at left tackle. He should. Uh, and Ron wants mean and nasty players and the best players will play. You know, I think that keeps people on their toes. It gets people motivation to do well because, you know, Hey, I, I might not start. My job might be in jeopardy. I got to be the best all the time. I think what you got to look at is last year, Ron stepped in and it was his first year to turn over the roster, but first he had to evaluate what he had in house. And I think he was able to do a lot of that last year. And I think we saw a lot of the changes that he started to make. And this is the first real year that he has his hands kind of at the throttle and is, and can bring in the guys that he wants. And I think that, you know, what he's doing along the offensive line is a microcosm for the team because he keeps bringing in guys who could be starters and maybe in years past would have been anointed starters, but he's bringing them in to compete and not just for this year, but guys who can potentially help build you, next year, two years, three years from now. And I think that's kind of an important part is that, you know, they're not just happy that they have, you know, Cornelius Lucas who played well last year at left tackle, but there's room for improvement, but he might be gone next year. Morgan Moses is getting close to the end of his contract. Brandon Sheriff, you're seeing these guys where, you know, would be big holes next off season or two off seasons from now, they're starting to address them early. And I think kind of having that foresight and being able to play kind of roster chess instead of roster checkers, goes a long way. And, and I think that's, that's where, where Ron and this, and this staff, the Martin and Marty duo is, is, is heading. And, and that's, 
exciting because Washington hasn't had kind of a, a precise North star uh, for a long time. And that goes back before that goes back to probably maybe Gibbs one, you know, right? you mean, we have a vision. We have a, we have an idea of how we want to build a team. It's, it's very refreshing to be run like a professional franchise again. It's, it's very nice. And my, my last question I have for you is, you know, I, me personally, I wanted offensive lineman at, at pick one. I was looking at Darisol. I was looking at Vera Tucker. I know Phil doesn't like Vera Tucker. And then the lineman from, uh, I think, Northwestern, his name escapes me. But um, Slater. Sean Slater. Yeah. Um, Sorry, Phil. I would have been, been happy with one of those guys, even Leatherwood. I was I was a Darisol guy. I was calling that from day one. <laughs> but I was a big Darisol guy, too. Yeah. But if you would have told me that they were going to get I was surprised that the run of tackles in the second round happened not to get too deep in tackle talk because I could, we could, Phil and I could probably go for a while on this, but I was surprised <laughs> that the tackle run went as early as it did in the second round. But I think that Sam Cosby was my favorite of all the second round tackles that went. And that includes Eichenberg, that includes uh, Walker Little, that includes all those dudes. So I, I Tevin Jenkins, I, I, I like what they did there. So if you, if you would have told me at 19 that they were still going to be able to get what I consider the top second tier guy at, in the second round. I'm happy they did what they did. Yeah, absolutely. And Cosme's physicals. I mean, his physical athletic ability is off the chart. I didn't know that before the draft, but it, I'm excited. And I, I think he can be the starter at, at left tackle, but did you, was there ever an inkling in your, in your mind that we were going to trade for a quarterback in round one? Not really. I, it, things would have had to fall considerably and the right guy would have had to fall. I don't think that they were ever particularly interested in, uh, in Mac Jones. In fact, as he started getting deeper in the draft, I kind of was talking to myself out of even taking him if he was available at 19. Um, I think that, you know, they have a uh, competent quarterback play seemingly at least better than in the past few seasons. And Ron seems very, you know, set on building a deep roster and getting these guys going and it's tough to build a deep roster when you're trading around trading away multiple first round picks to get up there so you know I certainly there was never a thought in my mind that they were going to move into the top 10 had you know Fields or Lance gotten past that Eagles Giants Cowboys 10 11 12 block into the the Chargers at 13 or Vikings at 14 maybe they would have started looking at a possible move up to there but the fact that none of those none of those two guys were available there, and obviously Mac Jones was, made it I think kind of easy for them to to sit back. But they did a good job allowing just enough smoke up there to let people think that maybe they might do it, and you know keep keep, keep all the teams on their toes. Right. Um, and I'll say this: um, I see it's funny when we talk about the draft and the podcast leading up to this. I never really talked about Cosby, and a lot of that was because I didn't think that we would go for him at 19, but I also didn't think he would be available to us at 51. So I was like, well, not even going to bother with it. So when we got him, I had the same reaction. I was like, Oh my God, how do we get Cosme? Um, so that, that I'm, I'm with you. I, I really like that pick. Um, well, just real quick on Cosme. He was the guy who was a late third round pick up until, you know, maybe a month before the draft or so. And he was one of those guys who late kind of started popping up the boards and, I think what I was mostly saying was I wanted them to trade their, their two third round picks and they might have to move up in the third round mm -hmm. to go get them. But I mean, with the tackles going where they went, like we said, the fact that they were able to snag him at 51 was great. Yeah. I've, I've had a feeling that just that 
there would be a run early in the I had that that a feeling that that would happen, but I just didn't think that anybody I'd want to take a 51 would be there. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad we did. Cause like I said, that dude, he's, he's athletic. He's and by the way, for, for those who do enjoy lineman talk, the guy has great feet for a lineman. He's very agile and he's very good at positioning himself. Um, so all Looked you no further fans, than the touchdown, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. sure you guys have seen it yep. he catches a, you know, a, a, a pass behind the line of scrimmage has a little juke. We talked to him about it and he said that during practice, they ran it twice and Sam Ellinger just gunned the ball at him both times and basically <laughs> told him, if you drop this once in practice, we'll, we'll never run in the game. And he caught it both times in practice and caught it in the game. And there we are. I mean, that, that, I'll tell you what, Washington social media loves playing that clip because I've seen it about six times on Instagram at all different camera angles. Like, okay, we get it, guys. <laughs> guys, athletic. But speaking of uh, linemen, they traded into the sixth round and got a long snapper. Um, I understand this was kind of a shallow draft. You're going through, going after some of the guys that you would consider undrafted free agents. Figure, well, instead of competing for these guys after draft, let's just get them now, nail them down to minimal contracts. But, uh, let me ask you this. Since when do you dra- trade up into a round for a long snapper? I mean, have you so here was my, you have here any insight my into on. this? Do you have any insight into this one? I have a theory about it, and certainly it's odd and doesn't happen very often. But they traded next year's fifth for a sixth and a seventh, an extra seventh this year. Mm-hmm. And so they ended up with they ended up with three seventh round picks. They made that trade, I think either right at the beginning, right at the end of the fourth round or right at the beginning of the fifth round. So yeah. they made that trade before the run on long snappers, if you even want to call it that, happened in the draft. And I would bet that if you were to give Ron and, and Marty and Martin a little truth serum, they were hoping they could pick them up in the seventh round. But once the Bama long snapper went off the board, they didn't want to be caught, you know, musical chairs without a chair. And so at that point, they, they had to take them. Obviously, great for Cameron Cheeseman. You know, like how many long snappers get drafted? Not very many. He's in a really tough position because this fan base loved Nick Sunberg. And I don't know if another long snapper in the league is going to be as criticized and, and be watched as critically as Cameron Cheeseman is going to be. The thing that you say about it is, you know, for most good football teams, sixth and seventh round picks don't necessarily make the team. They they might make it if they if they pop, but mostly they go to the practice squad and Sometimes you never hear from them again. And if Cameron Cheeseman ends up being Ethan Albright, Nick Sunberg, Cameron Cheeseman, dudes that you had for a decade at a time, in five years, you're going to care that they use the sixth round pick on a long snapper. I think that in the heat of the moment, it was something easy to jump on and be like, what in the world is going on? But after the fact, when Ron described the UDFA thing and, you know, kind of his reasoning behind it, it just reinforced that everything that this front office is doing is with a purpose. There's a reason. There's no panic. There's no, you know, well, I felt like doing it. It's all, you know, there's there's a reason we're going to do this. This is why we did it. And honestly, it makes sense. You know, it, it's better to to get some of these guys who you might not have had an opportunity to. I think the biggest dude is, is Shaka Tony. I mean, he's a guy that might have gone undrafted and you would have had to battle to get him. 
And obviously we all know how good the defensive line is slash OLBs, but they do need some depth from it. And adding a guy who, you know, is eighth in Penn state history and sacks and, you know, was able to kind of consistently get after the quarterback like he did. I'd rather trade up and get him in the seventh round than have to battle the, you know, Chicago bears to sign this dude once, uh, once a free agent, once uh, undrafted free agency open. So it, it made sense, you know, but it's, it certainly, it certainly was a head scratcher at the time. And, and Ron did a one-on-one with him, which is even crazier, like a long snapper, <laughs> even crazier. <laughs> I mean, that was one of my biggest takeaways from the draft was how much time Ron spent because we were talking about fourth, fifth, sixth, and even in some cases, seventh round players that Ron was having one-on-one zoom meetings with Dude. Imagine how many other players he had one-on-one meetings with, right? Those are just the guys that they ended up actually drafting. And to have a coach as, as dedicated as that is, is, is amazing because you go back to the previous regime and more the, the GM role, Bruce Allen. Washington was well-known to pick players that they never interviewed. I go back all the way to the, uh, to the uh, Trent Williams draft where they brought in um, – who was the tackle that went to Seattle, just became a free agent? Russell Okun. Russell Okun. They brought in Russell Okun. They wined and dined him. He had dinner with the owner. Uh, you know, up until an hour before the draft, that's who Washington was taking. And then out of nowhere, they took Trent Williams. And that pick ended up being great. But we certainly can look at a ton of other first and second rounders that didn't pan out quite so well. So to have a coaching staff that dedicated and that kind of on 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 ball, on the point, on point is is impressive and and it doesn't doesn't do anything more than give you more confidence that what they're doing is the right way of doing things yeah and and it's interesting because i've I've long said that the thing you have to get used to the most with this team with its coaching staff as opposed to prior regimes is that there always seems to be a plan a plan b plan c there's there's never seems to be a moment when it comes to personnel moves things like that where they seem to be caught off guard at least so far. Now we've had a small sample size compared to, say, the uh, you know the Jay Gruden regime, but that's one thing that I really like. That it seems like they just they don't have just one plan. There's Plan A, Plan B, Plan C, Plan D. There's there's multiple avenues. We we saw it with the quarterbacks. You know, they went up to Stafford. Stafford wasn't available for what they wanted, so they moved on to Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um. But you, you brought up – you talk about, uh, you know, six and seven round picks, and that actually transitions well to my next question. Who do you think is a dark horse to make this team? Of the sixth and seventh rounders? Yeah. Uh, Who do you think is me, a dark horse? I mean, Cheeseman obviously is his long snapper. You know, unless something happens, we expect he'll have a role. But who do you think is going to be a dark horse out of those late round guys? If you're going to allow me to include a fifth rounder, I think their course is – everything that you know Washington's looking for and not just the the person but a player too you know he came in talking about how he wants to be the best special teamer he can be and I think that you know for a guy to to have that mentality every you know drafted and undrafted rookie should come in knowing that they're gonna have to play special teams but they all have a regular position as well and generally those guys come in and talk about you know what they did or didn't do in college how they can add to the team you know, offensively or defensively, this dude came in and immediately started talking special teams. And, you know, this team has been needing a lot of help there, especially to get a standout stud, not to mention their need at, at safety to get, get a little bit of depth. Now, when you look at the seventh round, could one of those two 
defensive ends particularly make the team and be kind of one of those depth guys? Sure. But I mean, when I look at, you know, William Bradley King, he's a dude that seems rather raw. Um, I, you know, in reading kind of uh, some uh, scouting reports by him, it's, you know, he's a dude who has a ton of size and a ton of raw strength, but not a lot of moves. And to me, that's a guy that you can mold, you know, let's Dan Mills get his hands on him, you know, maybe spend a year on the practice squad, you know, get a couple of those extra moves, work with, you know, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, John Allen, Theron Payne, all those first rounders and, you know, see if, see if that, see if that kind of, you know, peaks it. But I think that, you know, those sixth and seventh rounders, really the seventh rounders should be practice squad players, you know, for good football teams, those guys are generally don't make the team. Now we've all fallen in love with Troy Apke and, you know, <laughs> Trey Quinn and other dudes who were drafted, you know, Mr. Irrelevant and whatnot. But like when you're a good football team, Mr. Irrelevant ain't part of your plans. And if one of those guys happens to pop like James Smith Williams did last year, then you're able to kind of adjust on the fly, but the plan shouldn't be for any of those guys to be making any sort of real impact this year. That totally makes sense. What's your take on John Bates? There's a lot of love and hate in this, in this fan base right now for John Bates. Some people see it as he only caught what 40 some passes and 40 some games, passes. 44 yeah. passes and what 47 games, whatever at a, at, at a Boise state. But at the same time, every sky report says he's got really soft hands. He's, he's a good pass catcher. And then other people complain that he's not very athletic. He has slow 40 time. Yada, yada. What's your take on, on John Bates? Because tight end is such a hotly debated subject right now. I mean, the biggest thing is they had to upgrade a tight end because there were times last year and honestly in years past where if you went 12 packages, you went with two tight ends, you knew that one guy was your blocking guy and one guy was your running guy. So it, it was or a passing guy. So it was a dead giveaway when certain players were on the field. And so they needed an upgrade there. And I think that's what they were going for here. Now, Logan Thomas and Chris Cooley have both talked highly of them. So, you know, I, I hope that they're right and I'm wrong, but I'm part of the, I have a little bit of hesitancy towards them. I mean, not just the catching numbers, because part of that is how Boise State runs their offense. To me, the bigger stat that stood out was he didn't have a single catch in the red zone and in his entire career. And for a guy to be that big, and have that great of hands and everything else and not get an opportunity to catch the ball in the red zone to me is a little bit of a red flag. It's great that he has the second best hands in the draft, but if he can't separate himself at all from linebackers and safeties who are going to be covering him, then I don't know that he's going to have an opportunity to really catch the ball. The bigger thing is I think that he is a good blocking tight end and he has serviceable passing game skills. So you can bring him in the game and it's not a dead giveaway at what's happening. And I think when you look at, kind of the, the run of tight ends that have been here outside of, you know, whoever the starter was at the time, it's been, I would say, a pretty humble group to be, to be nice. So, you know, I, I think that he gives just enough to be kind of that, 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 you know, extra little wiggle in the, in the passing game. But to me, if I'm drafting a blocking tight end, quote unquote, I felt like there was probably an opportunity to get him to get a player of, of similar caliber, a little bit later in the draft, but hopefully the dude works out and, and he's, you know, he is way more athletic. He's certainly the, the, the persona that Ron Rivera wants. Ron talked about his first interview with him. He asked him, you know, why he didn't catch more balls. And he said, you know, that's not what the game plan was. Boise state didn't want to throw the ball a lot to their tight ends. He's like, and I was here to do what was best for the team and win. And, you know, 
if you want to say something that's going to get Ron's juices flowing, that's it right there. So again, it's another high character guy and certainly a guy who's not going to be a, you know, me, me, me issue, issue guy. So hopefully he works out. Hopefully he's better than, than I think he is. But of, of all the picks, he was my, he was the one that I had the most concern over uh, where they took him. Right. Cause they passed on um, Brevin Jordan from Miami, if I'm not mistaken. Right. At they that, did. At that, yeah. So hopefully it pans out. Brevin well, Jordan's well, senior season had more yards, had more catches, yards and touchdowns than, um, than Bates did in his entire career. Crazy. Well, but I don't know if they me, need another passing game tight end. Is, is Logan Thomas has done yeah. a good job filling that. Well, let me, let me ask you, I should just kind of come off of that. Do you think that the NFL player comp with Bates being Jeremy Sprinkle is a fair one? No, because <laughs> Jeremy Sprinkle is the guy that I was talking about without trying to name names because I didn't want to, you know, badmouth anybody. But Jeremy Sprinkle was a guy who, when he checked into the game, when he ran in number 87, raised his, raised his hand, wiped his jersey, every team said, run, run, run. <laughs> they knew what was coming. And if he did happen to leak out in the passing game, which I think it was against, it was in Arizona. I don't remember it was against the Cardinals or the Niners, but ball hits him right in the hands and just drops straight to the ground. And there it was, you know, we used to joke when Andre Carter was here years ago, they would run tip drills in practice and they would put them on the jugs and they would have it. And every time they threw the jugs at him, it would just ricochet off Andre Carter's hands. And we used to joke, it was like, clang dang bang every time and that's kind of what it was like for jeremy sprinkle so i think <laughs> logan thomas might be a better comp than jeremy sprinkle ever was he's a guy that was mostly a blocking tight end but proved to be able to catch the ball a couple times and had a nice eight to ten year career so i, I you know if he's able to you know mimic that a little bit then I, I think that might be the that might be the that might be you know not the worst not making not the worst pick ever well, here on the Washington Football Addicts, we're we're a little different. You know, we, we don't mind poking fun at at you know at, at players. So internally, we like to call Jeremy Sprinkle Featherstone. If you remember the reference from Necessary Roughness, the movie, <laughs> don't throw it to Stone. Hey, <laughs> you know that's how we we called Sprinkle Featherstone. So every he's time in, he's every in time. Dallas, he's in Dallas this year. So we'll we'll see what happens if he makes the roster or you know gives away the playbook. So I don't know. We'll we have we have our little we have our little admin group chat. Every time Sprinkle checks into the game, uh, Steve has his little uh, gift pulled up. Of, of a featherstone running a post pattern and going don't throw stone hands puts posts in the group chat every time like sprinkles in don't throw it to him uh so <laughs> yeah we, we we get the we get the uh the ability to to be a little bit more down on some of those guys especially somebody who's now playing for the cowboys you know we don't, we don't have to love them as much. the cowboys fair game <laughs> um and i, I kind of get the vibe what your answer is going to be in this but you know, I have to ask, do you think we got significantly better after the draft? I think that I, – I don't think it was a dynamic draft. I said it before, like, there just wasn't a particularly sexy draft. I think this team is deeper and more apt for, more ready for an NFL season than team than Washington football teams in the past have been. You know, Brian Mitchell yells about it all the time, how you have to coach all, 50, all 56 as opposed to the starting 22 – but part of the reason that it didn't seem like those back-end guys were ever coached was because they were really super fringe NFL players. And 
you saw it as these, you know, wide receivers, everyone would get up in arms, we'd go sign elsewhere. And I'm like, see, that guy's going to be a star elsewhere, you know, Simi Cobbs and, and whoever else. And I think you're starting to see a situation now where you have depth at a lot of different positions. So, you know, if a Brandon Sheriff goes down, you're not crushed. If, a, you know, Cornelius Lucas goes down, if, you know, if Terry McLaurin has to start missing games, you know, like you're in a situation where you have, competent players deeper deeper across the board and and you know when ron talks about building his culture it's about you know bringing in the right kind of guys but it's also about bringing in guys that you can win with and it's not necessarily about grabbing a superstar every top opportunity you can get sometimes it's about grabbing you know guys like i said of high floors who you know even if they don't you know pan out to be superstars are still good solid nfl players and can contribute and it just, it wasn't a sexy draft, but that doesn't mean they didn't get better. I think this is a better football team. And honestly, you know, if, if they're a quarterback away from being really, really, really competitive with every other team in the league. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff. I, I, that's a, that's a good, that's a good way to, to, I think, you know, summarize where we are moving forward in 2021. I mean, we're just, I want to say that, uh, in two weeks or May 17th, they're in phase two. They're going to be in person, you know, with the, with the rookies and then 20, 24 May, they have the OTAs. And then we're a month away from mini camps. And I mean, it's, it's coming, it's coming quickly. And I know your guy, your guy's job, you probably have a little bit of law here, but you guys are going to get busy here real soon. There's no law. No, there's a, there's a law after, <laughs> after, after mini camp, we'll have a little law before training camp starts, but things are fast and furious now, but, this is the fun time. Like this is, you know, you, you, you deal with the February, the, you know, the Ides of February and March to get to this time when there's, you know, real football to talk about. And Thursday, we're going to get the schedule. We're going to have a ton to talk about when we get, when the schedule gets released, fingers crossed, the team ends up playing in London against the Falcons, you know, including the, you know, Vegas game as well. There's, it's an exciting time. And, you know, it's been other than, you know, the back half of that 2012 season when Robert was turning into, you know, a superstar in front of our eyes. I think this is the most exciting time that it's been since I started covering the team. Legit, I think that, you know, there is true disappointment to anything less than a 500 season. I mean, this is, you know, there are true expectations. That's a good thing to have. It's good to have a little bit of that pressure on your on your shoulders. It's good to have a little bit of that fire underneath you and, and I think it's going to be it's going to be a fun season it's going to be a fun rest of the offseason it's going to be a real fun season do you think we're a 10 win team I think with the 17 game schedule they're a 10 win team yes 10 and 7 yeah that puts us probably around the same pick 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 uh, draft pick scenario as this year if they want to get a quarterback for next year it's going to get very interesting picking around that you know yeah they might I be looking at uh, bringing in a veteran or something but yeah I, I think that the progression that I'd like to see for this team, you know, I think year one, they were ahead of the game making the playoffs and say what you want about it, but it was important to see that, you know, for a team that started off so poorly to come back and play well year two, I want to see them win a playoff game year three, you know, make it to a NFC championship game and see where things go from there. And, you know, maybe those are lofty expectations for a team that hasn't done that in God knows how long back-to-back playoff seasons, but I think that's what's fun about this is that 
there aren't a whole lot of people that think that's ridiculous. And there's certainly been years and years and years, three decades of it, where that felt like climbing Mount Everest, winning back, you know, going to the playoffs back to back years. So I, I just, I think that this team's heading in the right direction. I, I'm on board with what Ron's doing. I think things are, things are moving well. And it's funny, you know, you guys cover the team at, at this level and, you know, I listen to sometimes CRSXM NFL right on the way to work and never in my life have I heard national media talk in this team and even in the most positive manner till, till Ron came on board. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. And it's fantastic. I hope it continues uh, at all. So, so Mitch, we just want to say, you know, thanks, thanks for taking, you know, time out of your, your busy, busy, busy day with all the, all the crazy DC sports going on. We have all, all major sports going on in the DC area. We got the whiz, you know, on a run. We got, we got the, the caps, beating up the Rangers at the beginning of, 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 of the game and the Nats are, eh, they're, they're doing okay. But I know, you, I know you're busy and we want to thank you for, for taking time out of your day to uh, come chat with us. And I know everybody knows you, but where, where can everybody find you at on um, social media, your, your, your writings? What's the best place they can, they can find all of Mitch Tisha content? Yeah, um, NBC Sports Washington um, is where all of our stuff is posted, but um, Washington Football Talk Pod and Twitter and Instagram and Mitch underscore Tishler. Right. And let's not forget cameo. Let's not forget the cameo. You know, let's, get, cameo that, well. let's get that cameo plug. You know, we got to keep you above Pete, you know, unless, unless, you know, unless <laughs> we can say something about it. We got to keep you at least one, one more above, above Pete on the cameos. Listen, you're the Insta- Instagram and Twitter DMS are a wild place and Twitter, you know, mentions are a wild place. Cameo might be a step above all of that. It is, it's absurd and, and fun and, crazy and it's uh it's it's interesting to see what all these uh washington football fans come up with that's right i'm gonna do one just for fun you know just for just because you came on the show let's go <laughs> um we had a couple guys that could make it tonight and uh they just wanted to give their best to you and thank you again for coming on with us but um once again we look forward to doing this again sometime you know as the season gets closer hopefully you know you have some time to sit down with us and we can talk about you know who made the team who didn't make the team and how, how camp you know rolls out right before the season starts but um we, we do thank you, Mitch, and we hope to talk to you soon. Absolutely. Happy to do it, guys. All right. Take care, Mitch. Thank you. Thank you.